Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, cannot thank you enough that we have this privilege to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to share our lives with each other, to share in the study of your word, to share in worshiping your wonderful, beautiful name. We give you praise that you have taken care and you continue to take care of every need we have. We are so prone to forget that, Father. Thank you for the reminders of in our lives of your good care over us. And Lord, we want to thank you for the greatest care that you gave us when you sent your son Jesus to die and on the cross of Calvary to, as our substitute, taking our place, taking on his body our sin. We can't fathom it. We can only kneel before you in awe and wonder that you loved us that much. We know that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. We know that salvation is free, but it was so costly to you. And help us to live our lives in light of that truth. Now, Father, thank you for your word. Guide us as we study it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, is one of many passages of Scripture that has so many layers to it. And I really love it for that reason. It's kind of like when you, uh, th this is probably a bad analogy, but it's, it's like when you cut an onion. You know, an onion has so many layers, you you get rid of the outside, and then there's another layer, and then you get rid of that one, there's another layer. Well, this scripture uh, is like that in that there are so many layers to it for us to see, and we're going to try to get to see all of those layers this morning. There are four that I want to mention. The first one is there is the helpless man. There is the paralytic. Uh, he uh, is helpless. Uh, no one can do anything for him but his friends and he recognize that there is Jesus. And so we have the paralytic. Uh, secondly, the second layer is we have his friends whose devotion to the needy man caused them to take him to the one place where his need can be met. Their devotion to their friend, this needy man, they take him to the one place that he can have his need met. The third layer to this scripture are the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the NIV calls scribes teachers of the law. Whenever you see that phrase, teacher of the law, think scribe. That's what it's talking about. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they know the letter of the law, but they lack love. They know the letter of the law, but they lack love and compassion for others. 
And then, of course, most importantly, the fourth layer that we see in this passage is there is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. We see, once again, His compassion on display. You'll remember that last week we saw His compassion on display toward the leper whom He healed. So we see, once again, Jesus' compassion on display Secondly, we see Jesus' healing power, his authority over disease, his authority over disease. Thirdly, we see Jesus' authority, and this is most important, his authority to forgive sin. That's what brings him into conflict with these religious leaders starting here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. We see his authority to forgive sin. And then finally, to summarize about Jesus, we see him clearly demonstrating his deity. He clearly demonstrates his deity in this section of Scripture. Harry Ironside, one of the great teachers of the Word of God of an earlier day, said this, We would also emphasize the precious truth that these miracles were intended to reveal to men the grace and tender compassion of God, who was seen in Christ fully telling out his deep concern for those who had brought such dire trouble and affliction upon themselves by turning away from him. Remember, whenever you, you see the discussion of sickness, of disease, of disaster, all of that is a part of our world because we joined with Adam, according to Romans 5.12, in rebelling against God in the Garden of Eden. We turned our backs upon God. We said, God, we don't want it your way. We want it our way. We won't live the way you require of us. We will live the way we want to. And so selfishness came into the world. Sin came into the world. Disease came into the world. Disaster came into the world. All because we turned our backs, joined Adam in turning our backs upon God. And we see in this passage of Scripture, we see the man who is helpless. We see his friends. We see the religious leaders who know the law, but don't know love. And we see Jesus Christ, the compassionate one, and his compassionate on display again. We see his healing power, his authority to forgive sin, his authority to over disease, and we see his deity in this section. Well, this section of Scripture, Matthew, or Matthew Mark 2, 1 to 12, is paralleled by Matthew 9, 1 to 8, and you, if you want to do further study, you should write those down, Matthew 9, 1 to 8, and Luke 5, 17 to 26. Matthew 9, 1 to 8, and Luke 5, 17 to 26. Those are the parallel passages. It, those are the places where we see this same story told, and when you take all three of the, of the gospel writers and you put together what they tell us about this incident, you get a fuller picture. You get a, a bigger picture. And so that's what you want to do in your Bible study. 
study, you want to study not only Mark 2, 1 to 12, you want to study Matthew 9 and Luke 5 along with it. Uh, Before we get into the verses here, I also want to mention one thing. Chapter 2 and verse 1 begins a new section in Mark. Now, in some ways, you're going to say, what do you mean a new section? We've seen him healing before. This is just another healing. Uh, How is this a new section? Well, from now until uh, 3.6, we see conflict with the religious leaders that begin in 2.1 to 12 and continue to grow and grow and grow and get worse and worse until Mark 3.6. And if you'll turn to Mark 3.6, you'll see what I'm, I mean. In Mark 3.6, we read this. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might what? Kill Jesus. In other words, starting in chapter 2 and verse 1 of the book of Mark, we have introduced the the, the, uh, uh, religious leaders and their hatred for Jesus, the religious leaders and their conflict with Jesus, and we see the hostilities mounting and mounting and mounting until they culminate in the decision that Jesus has got to go. Jesus has got to be killed. And so that's a, that's a, a new section, a, a new wrinkle, so to speak, in this section uh, of the Word of God. Well, chapter 2 and verse 1, we read this a few days later. That is a, a reference to what came previously, and that is the healing of the leper. A few days later, after that healing of the leper, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, and you'll remember Capernaum is at the north part uh, uh, of the dead of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and it's there that Jesus had his uh, the the center of his ministry in Galilee, uh, and we see once again he's in a home here. We read a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. We believe that the home mentioned here is the same home that we studied about in chapter 1 and verse 29. It is Peter's home. Peter's home seemed to be a center for the Galilean ministry of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus returns to Capernaum. He has completed his first tour of Galilee, and he returns to Peter's home, and the people of Capernaum heard that he had come home. Verse 2 tells us, So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them all. Uh, In that day, uninvited guests were welcomed in Jewish homes. And that's what's happening here. The people found out that Jesus was back from his Galilean tour. And so once again, they crowd the home of Peter. And what are they looking for? Why do you think they did that? Well, as you read through here, and as you read the Gospels, they were looking for a miracle worker. They were looking for somebody to do miracles, somebody to do healings. But I want you to notice what Jesus' emphasis is in this passage. What's Jesus' emphasis? So many, verse 2 tells us, gathered that there was no room left, not even the door, and Jesus did what? 
He preached the word. Does that surprise you? It doesn't say, and Jesus healed them. Now, he is going to heal this paralytic. He healed others in his ministry. We've already seen previously that he healed many. But his primary emphasis is not the healing. His primary emphasis is what? Preaching the word of God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. That's crucial to understand. His central ministry, his primary ministry, his most important ministry was preaching the word of God, not healing, not being a miracle worker. We really forget that in our day. I'll have more to say about that in just a second, but I want you also to realize that included in the group of people that were crowding Peter's home that day, included in that group of people uh, were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes. We know that when you look at the parallel passage. Remember I said parallel passages are, are important? We know that because if you look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 17, Luke tells us that. Luke tells us that among the group in Peter's home that day, crowding his home, were also Pharisees and scribes. Now, we'll say more about them next week, but I want to just say this. They started out with zeal for the word of God and its purity, but they ended up rigid and unbalanced and hypocritical. It's sad that that can happen, but that can happen. They started out with zeal for the Word of God. They started out with zeal for its purity. But instead being tempered by love, remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up, but love what? Builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. These Pharisees and scribes started out with the greatest intentions, but they, instead of melding them with love, become rigid and unbalanced and hypocritical. May we never do that because of our commitment to the Word of God. Our commitment to the Word of God should make us the most loving people, not hypocritical people. Now, Jesus' primary ministry was preaching the word of God. One writer said this, To the throngs who filled the house and crowded about the door, he proclaimed the message he had come from heaven to deliver, the word of the kingdom. This was his chief mission during his three and a half years of ministry. Healing sick bodies was a secondary thing, though to most people it doubtless seemed to be the most important. I think that still is true of us. I think we still miss it. I still think we we still have the priority out of whack. I don't think much has changed. We need to understand Jesus' primary mission was preaching the word of God. Doubtless, though, healing seems the most important to people. The writer goes on to say, but sickness of the soul, and please don't miss this, 
Sickness of the soul is far more serious than physical ill health. Sickness of the soul is far more serious than physical ill health. And the writer goes on, and to bring to mankind the message of life is far more important than delivering them from bodily ailments. Now, don't get me wrong. We pray for people to be healed. We don't believe in healers, by the way, at DRBC. We believe that God heals, but not through healers. We believe that he heals in answer to prayer. And we often pray and are even now praying for many in our body and outside our body who are sick and we're praying that they will be healed. There's nothing wrong with that kind of prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying for healing. But we have to get things in their proper order. We have to understand that Jesus' primary ministry was preaching the Word of God, not being a wonder worker, not being a healer. His primary ministry was preaching the Word of God. And what is so exciting about that, it means that you and I can participate in that because we share our faith in the one who heals soul sickness. That's power, folks. We think of power in seeing people healed, and thank God that he does heal people today, people we love. He doesn't heal them all. We'll, we'll see that maybe today, maybe next week. But you and I have the greatest opportunity and the greatest ability, and that is to share the word of God that turns people from those who are on their way to hell to those who are on their way to the Savior, to eternity with him. So let's not get the cart before the horse. Do we have it backwards? Do we exalt physical healing? Even though we're not charismatic, I mean, but we still exalt physical healing and we sometimes devalue the preaching of the word. We got it backwards if that's what we're doing. Well, J. Vernon McGee, in his inimitable way, I got it right. I had to practice that because when you lose an hour of sleep, you can't say words like inimitable. It makes it difficult. <laughs> J. Vernon McGee said this, Jesus did not want to be known as a miracle worker or wonder worker. He had come for a spiritual ministry. He had come to die upon the cross for the sins of the world. McGee then concludes this, I think we need to whittle this down to a very fine point. Our business is primarily to preach the gospel. Our business, your business, my business, not the preacher's business, every believer's business, your business, my business, is primarily to preach the gospel. There's where the power is, folks. There's where people's lives are touched at the deepest level, way, way deeper than the physical level. And their soul sickness is healed by a Savior who gave so much 
Well, his primary ministry was preaching the word. And then we read on in verses 3 and 4. Some men came. Remember the setting here. Verse 2 gives us a setting. There's no room left anymore. No windows left to crawl in. (laughs) No doors left to go into. No space left inside if you could get inside. And here come these four men carrying a man on a paralyzed man on a pallet. And they want to see, they want to take that man to see Jesus because they know Jesus is the only answer for him. And so they're faced with an impossible situation. They're faced with an obstacle here. There's no way to get him inside the building. Since they could not get to him, verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, they decided that the only thing that could help would be a remodeling of this house. The way Palestinian homes were built in that day, there was a, an outside stairway that went up to the roof. That's how they could reach the roof. And I don't know how they made the decision that we're going to wreck this guy's home. But it was important enough, wasn't it? They cared enough for their friend. And so they decided that would be the way in. Now, J. Vernon McGee, once again, in his inimitable way. That's three or four times, folks. I should get extra credit for that. Uh, he, uh, he said, when you reach an obstacle but like this, what a church has to do is set a committee. <laughs> I got to read to you what he said. By the way, one, years and years ago, when Kathy and I were first married, her family would get together. It was the neatest thing. They, they would get together on Easter They would all go to one church, usually grandma's church, Mima's church, and uh, those are great days, and everybody would go to church, and I won't tell you what kind of church it is, but you'll probably figure it out by the time I'm done. (laughs) I'm sitting there, and I'm looking through the bulletin, waiting for the church service to start, And I look, and what should my wondering eyes see? But there was going to be a meeting of the committee on committees. I couldn't stand the thought of committees, let alone thinking there might be a committee on committees. But this church had one. So maybe many churches do, I don't know. We don't have any committees here. Um, anyhow, Mickey says, now I've found in church work today, in, in, in light of the obstacle these four men face, he said, I've found in church work today that the thing that is done more than anything else is to designate committees. The committee is what the pastor of a church often depends on. Church work today is done largely by the committees of various organizations. Someone has said that a committee is made up of those who take down minutes and waste hours. Hmm. 
you've been on committees, right? Uh, another has said that a committee is made up of a group of people who individually can do nothing, but together they can decide that nothing can be done. And that is generally what they do. If they did it like we do it, this little group had a committee, they had a door committee who came up and looked around and then went back and said, you can't get in the door. Then they had the window committee who went up and looked around and came back and said, you can't get in the window. Fortunately, they had a roof committee. And the roof committee came back and said, we think we can get him down through the roof. So maybe if you have enough committees, there will be one that functions. <laughs> That's McGee's take on committees. I don't know how they decided that they would remodel this man's house from the roof down. <laughs> But that's what they did. And you know, as I think about that, I hope when you study the scripture, you, you put a little, uh, I don't want to send you in the wrong direction here, you put a little imagination to it. What I mean is, you start with the word of God, because that's the most important. The words that God left us. Every word of the Bible you have is from the Holy Spirit, is God-breathed, is inspired by God. Every word of it is God's Word. But I hope you don't just read it dryly. There's emotion in what was going on. There's emotion here. This man is a paralytic. He can't walk. He can't move. He can't reach. He is in desperate need. He has four men. Four friends who are willing to do every, anything, including wreck a man's house, to get their friend to the place that he needed to be. And so they start to take apart the roof. Now, the, the roof, roofs in that day were, were made of a composite of materials. They were made of wood laths, thatch, clay, and clay tiles and sometimes limestone slabs. Whatever the composite of this roof was, they started to take it apart piece by piece. Now I'm trying to picture the, pic, the, the uh, get the picture of what's going on inside. Jesus is inside. It's loaded with people. Jesus is preaching the word of God, and all of a sudden dust starts to come down from the ceiling. Little pieces of ceiling material start to come down. Can you picture it? What a scene that must have been. What a scene that must have been. What love these four men had for their friend. What love these four men had for their friend. Now, by the way, the, the main idea of the scripture is not friendship, but friendship's here. Friendship's here. And I'd like to talk about friendship for just a little bit. One writer pointed out four things about these four men. Number one, they were deeply concerned about their friend and they wanted to see him helped. They were deeply concerned about their friend and they wanted to see him helped. I know that you are deeply concerned about some people you know. They may be in your family. They may be on your job, they may be in your neighborhood, they may be friends from your childhood, but you're deep, deeply concerned. Well, these four men were deeply concerned about their friend, and they wanted to see him helped. 
The second thing that was pointed out about these four men is they had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet his need. Do you believe that Jesus can and will meet the need of your friend? He can. And, and by the way, it's not all on your shoulders. It's not like if I don't do it, nobody will do it. God has a lot of his people around. Do you know that? He has a lot of his people around in places you and I can't get. So it's not all on us, but they had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet his need. The third thing that's pointed out about these four men is they put feet to their faith. They put feet to their faith. They prayed, but they didn't stop at prayer. They put feet to their faith. And the fourth thing about these four men is they didn't let difficult circumstances discourage them. They didn't let difficult circumstances discourage them. How many times you and I are discouraged by obstacles and we just quit and turn around and walk away. As this writer said, they worked together and dared to do something different. As I thought about friendship and thought about these four men and what they did, I thought back to my own life and I thought back to the, to the way friends have made a difference in my life. Many of you have made a difference in my life. But I thought way, way back to the dark ages of my spiritual life. A couple of years after I came to faith in Christ and I felt called to the ministry, and so I decided to go to a Bible college and then later go on to a seminary to get training in order to do it well. And I thought back to, as I was looking at this passage and I was thinking about these friends, and I thought back to the night, a night filled with terror for me because it was my senior sermon night. I had to preach, everyone had to preach a senior sermon. And uh, my church was gracious enough to say, all right, we'll let you preach on a Sunday night. And I thought, that's just fine with me. Nobody will be there. Because, well, anyhow, you know. Uh, and the night came, and I was terrified. There were enough people there to scare me. And I'm sitting, and you know, they made me sit on the platform through the music, through the announcements, through all the, the initial things only so I could get more nervous and more nervous and more nervous and more nervous waiting for my moment to come. I still remember I preached from Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. The, the armor of God was my topic. And I'm sitting there and I'm getting nervous by the moment. And then all of a sudden I looked to my left and about halfway back were about two rows full of my friends. 
people who had had a lot to do with where I was then in my spiritual life. My mother and dad were there. Of course, they always were. They always supported me, my brother and sister. Cliff and Helen were there. Now, who are Cliff and Helen? They don't mean anything to you. They mean everything to me. They are in heaven today. But they are the ones that I love to say argued me into the kingdom of God. If it weren't for my daily arguments with them, I went to work for them. We manufactured cabinets. I was a paper pusher, not talented enough to work with wood. But I could work with paper and pencil. And uh, I worked for them for many years. And they loved my family, and they loved me. And every day was like, when are you going to become a believer? <laughs> it was like, I love it. It's true, they argued me into the kingdom of God. And it worked, because I became a believer in Christ. And then they encouraged me in my spiritual walk. And while they didn't want me to leave their employment to go to the ministry, they supported me in that. And I, there they sat. And just the other day, I carry in my Bible a note from Helen that she wrote about that night. And uh, I was reminded of some of the events. as I read her words. And I was reminded that she told me that she prayed for me every day. Every day. And if I have had any success at all, in the ministry, I am convinced it was because of her prayers for me every day. There are many others who prayed. My dear wife prays for me all the time. Thank you. And next to Cliff and Helen were some missionaries that they had introduced me to who had much to do with my life and my spiritual formation, and then others, and then others, and then others. And I began to thank God for them one by one as I went down the row. I wasn't paying any attention to the rest of the service anymore. I just went down row by row and prayed for each person. Thank God for their impact on my life. And you know, it came time for me to preach and I was totally at peace. I was totally at peace.
the Compact Guide to the Christian Life, a great little book that we used to give out in our welcome packets, but we can't get it anymore. It's not published. If you don't have one and can get a used one from some used bookseller, get it. It's a great little book, Compact Guide to the Christian Life. Offers some thoughts on friendship. Let me, let me share their thoughts on friendship with you real quickly. The first thing they... They say, I think it's seven things, yes. The first thing they say is focus on serving, not on having your needs met. Focus on serving, not on having your needs met. And they mention that it's so important that we understand that there are some needs that only God can meet in our some needs only God can meet in our lives. There are some needs that only God can meet meet in our lives they say in the book only god can meet our deepest needs of security significance unconditional love and respect if we try to get that from a friend we're putting them in an awful position and we're setting ourselves up for failure only god can meet your need for security only god can meet your need for significance only god can meet your need for unconditional love and respect Others can show his love, they say in the book. But if we desperately look to others to meet those needs, the needs that only he can meet, we are lacking trust in God. God can meet your deepest needs. He can meet my deepest needs. So they, their conclusion is, instead of trying to manipulate others into fulfilling our desires, manipulating them by anger or tears or gifts or romance or flirting or withdrawal or talk or humor. We should focus on being God's instrument to help them feel his love and valuing. We are able to glorify God, they say, by putting others first because we are secure that our needs are met in him. You can love others. I can love others when we know that our needs are met in him, that we are secure in him, that he loves us unconditionally. Second thing they suggest is we be vulnerable. That is, we let down our self-protective walls. We let down our mask of competence. There's a risk to that. You need to be wise who you tell those most vulnerable things about yourself, you need to be sure that there's somebody who is trustworthy. Somebody who is a true friend and won't use them against you, but still there's a risk, they say. There's a risk they may tell, so be wise in who you tell, but they also point out we cannot remove all risk and we have to be vulnerable. The third thing is be available, loyal, honest, selfless. The fourth thing, don't expect perfection. Demanding perfection from others is selfish and unrealistic, they say, and that is right on. You know, it seems almost silly to say don't demand perfection because every one of us knows that we are not what? Perfect. If we are not perfect, how can we expect perfection in the people around us? 
And if we think we're perfect, I think we need another reading of the Word of God. Number five, share biblical truth with each other. Speak it and listen to it. Number six, confess sins to each other. Don't be judgmental. Don't condone it. But pray and support the person in moving forward in their lives from that sin. And number seven, hold each other accountable. Hold each other accountable. Well, Jesus sees their action and their persistence as faith. That's what we see in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now there's so much in that it's going to take us next week to deal with that, but I just want to deal with one last thing and then we can sing our song, dismiss, and eat. Won't that be nice? When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus sees their action and their persistence as faith, and he heals the paralytic. There's much more to say about that, which we'll say next week. I want to make three points about faith, and we'll finish for today. Number one, faith is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word, laying hold of the realities of God. Faith is taking God at his word. Do you believe him? Do you believe his word? I hope so. But we go through moments of doubt, don't we? We go through our, uh, moments when... When uh, we say, I don't understand God, I don't understand you, I don't understand why this is happening. We go through those moments, but believe God, lay hold of his realities, take God at his word. Number two, faith expresses itself in some way. It manifests itself somehow. It manifested itself in this situation by these four men who were not going to rest till their friend was brought to the only person who could help him. And so their faith found its expression in them remodeling the roof of a house. And bringing their friend, letting their friend down. And by the way, the other picture that comes to my mind is, can you imagine being paralyzed and you're being lowered down from a roof into a room? Guys, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should wait for another day when the doors and windows aren't full. That showed faith in his part. Faith expresses itself in some way. It manifests itself somehow. And thirdly, faith means risk. One writer asked, what are you trusting God for that only God can do? And it ultimately isn't risk because you're trusting the God of the universe. But you're walking into the dark, so to speak, knowing that God is there. 
Well, next week we'll see more about this healing and we'll really start to see the objection of the religious leaders. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your word which reminds us that we can come to you with our deepest needs. That whatever the need is, however severe it seems, however serious the disease of sin is in our lives, that we can come to you and we can find forgiveness as we put our trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as we confess our sins to you. And help us to remember that the greatest power that you've allowed to us is the power to preach the gospel, to share with men and women and boys and girls about the one who can give us eternal life, the one who died for our sin, the one who conquered death. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.